Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Well, I'm really excited this morning. I know I said that last week, but this week, super excited. Because I feel like what I have to share with you today is a game changer. I really believe that with all of my heart. And here's the, ir- the, the ironic part of this. This is not a text of scripture that you would normally preach uh, two weeks before Christmas. So it's, 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 it's weird in a way, but it's not weird. And here's why. I believe that this past week, God showed me this passage of Scripture, and it's really two chapters. So just right off the bat, I'm not going to get through both these chapters. I'm going to have to kind of kind of hit different pieces of it, and, but, I, but I think the main purpose or the main uh, uh, message that's being, being said here, I think you'll get it just, just through the, the overview here, but, it, but it, it, it fits, but it doesn't fit. Does that make sense? Um, so let me just start it this way. The most popular, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. That's where we're going to be. So, um, and, and here's the funny part too is uh, Bill Bull over in First Baptist came up and he said, hey, he showed me his Bible and he said, you preached this text in 2014. That was six years ago, right? So this is not something that I go to often, but... It just so happens that this is what God has for us today. Um, so mo- what's the most popular verse in the Bible, would you say? John 3, 16, right? Let's say it together. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The one thing I think that is pretty consistent about Christmas is that at Christmas time gifts are part of the deal. Would you agree? I mean, can, can you have Christmas the way we do it without gifts? No, it's impossible. I mean, after all, what would you put under the tree, right? Why would you even have a tree if it wasn't to shelter the gifts? Am I right? I mean, that's why a tree is there. Not really, but let's just pretend. So gifts are a part of Christmas. Where do we get this idea? Well, in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, what do we have? We have the wise men who were coming from the east. Now, it wasn't at the manger that they came, but they, they left out, and they finally got to Jesus probably a couple years after he was born. And when they got there, what did they bring? They brought gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. That's right. Now, why would they bring gifts? Well, because it was a king, and you never approach a king without gifts, but also because they wanted to give to Jesus something from their heart. So what I want to talk to you today is this understanding of what it means to be a gift giver. Now, I'm not just talking about a boxed something. The text that we're looking at actually is talking about money. But I want you to think bigger than just what this text is talking about. I want you to think overall, generally, about what gifts are. Gifts are usually something that we give to someone that is rooted in the condition of our heart. 
Now, before I go into this text, here's what I want to tell you. Normally, a text like this is preached because a church is behind and needs to catch up, and it's a reminder, hey, we got bills to pay. I want to tell you that's not the case here. Matter of fact, this message has nothing to do with church budget. It has nothing to do with, with uh, uh, keeping the lights on or whatever. We actually, before this morning ever started, are fully funded for 2020 budget. Fully. That, I cannot tell you when the last time that has happened. It's been years. Normally, here's what we do. Normally, the last week before December 31st, whatever, wherever that week falls, uh, on a Monday or on a Tuesday, we'll get together as a staff and say, okay, where, where are we in, in relation to budget? And we're usually a couple of thousand dollars shy. Usually, somewhere around there. And I remember one particular year, we were about $10,000 shy. And uh, we, it was actually the last day... Um, or, or within the last day or two, and, and we knelt down in the front office and we prayed. We said, Lord, we're, we're not going to meet budget this year, so we're just going to leave this in your hands. And literally, when we were standing up, somebody walked in the door and gave us what we need. Now, they had no idea. That was one of those God moments, him going, I'm just, I just want to show you how cool I am, right? God does that. Normally, it's the last week. We get together and we say, okay, what's need? We know that God is going to provide. This year... Now, you explain to me how this has happened. Do you remember that we had to shut down the building, inside the building worship, for a couple, not just a couple of weeks, but a couple of months? We met in a parking lot, one service. We have about, in here, about half the people we normally have. Over in, in First Baptist, we have a little, mo- little more than half. How is it possible that in perhaps the most difficult year that we've had, we're, we're, more faithfully meeting the needs that we have. How is that possible? It's possible because I think that God's people understand the point of what I'm going to preach today. So I say all of that to say this. This message is not to convince you to do something. This message is to tell you that if you are already doing what God has said to do, you can expect for God to do what he said he was going to do. Does that make sense? This is, this is reminding you of the faithfulness of God because of your faithfulness to him. So that's the heartbeat behind this, okay? So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, here's what we have. We have the scripture reminding us of the heartbeat of giving. Now, before I go here, let me, let me remind you of one more thing. Every gift has three parts to it. Every single gift, whether it's Christmas gifts, whether it's, it's giving uh, uh, money, whether it's giving a gift to a family, uh, whatever it is, every single gift has three parts. The giver, the receiver, and the gift. You cannot have a gift giving exchange without all three parts. But the most important aspect of all three of these parts is the heart or the motivation of the gift. This actually was a conversation at the fire department this week. I was talking with some other people there, and, and one of them mentioned, said, we're having this little dispute in our house. Maybe you can kind of help us out. He said, we have a family member who only wants to give uh, a donation in, 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 and then put our name on it. 
So their, their recommendation to the family was, let's not give gifts. Let's just give to charities and then, and then give it in, in another family member's name. But the concern was that that was really just cheaping out on a gift. The, the, the concern was, and, and it wasn't about the gift, it was about the heartbeat behind it. The concern was, my family member's just cheap and they're already given to a charity, but they just want to put my name on it so they don't have to give me nothing. That was the thought. And, what, and, and, and the reason that was concerning was the heartbeat behind the gift is what matters. Amen? It's not the gift itself. It's the heartbeat behind it. When I get a gift from somebody and, and, it, and it looks like they stopped at Circle K on the way to the party, it's kind of like, thanks for the gift. I mean, I appreciate it, but there was no thought behind that, right? But if somebody sits around and they go, what would they love? What would they really enjoy? What says to them, I thought about you. And then they go and they put some effort into it and they get something and they give it. It says to the recipient, this person, what? They love me, right? How many of y'all agree that the heartbeat behind the gift is what's really important? By the way, I'm not a good gift giver. I just want to be clear about that. Ask my wife. And she's shaking her head. She's going, no, he's not a good gift giver. I just, I just don't think about these things. And it's not that I don't want to. It's I just, I don't prepare long enough in advance. That's, that's my problem. It's like I'm the guy on Christmas Eve at Walmart with every other guy in town, right? We're scrambling through, okay, I'll buy this and I'll buy this. And you make really bad decisions when you do that, just so you'll know. But I got to tell you, last year, I nailed it. I nailed it. So much so that I think that there ought to be a general rule for all bad gift givers that one out of three is a success. Would you agree with me? I mean, I think that you ought to be able to give one really good gift and then just kind of slide for the next couple of years and then you have to pony up. Then, I mean, I just think, yeah, see, that's not going to work in my family. I'm just admitting, I, I'm, I'm, when it comes to Christmas gifts and birthdays, I'm just, I'm not good at that. But here's what I'm realizing. The heart behind the gift is everything. I got a gift this week that blew me away. Some of y'all might have seen it. See, last year, my family and I were on, on, a, on a trip, and we were in, um, yes, yeah, San Francisco. We were in a lot of places, but San Francisco. And while we were walking down the Fisherman's Wharf, or through Fisherman's Wharf, I think they call it, I turned to my right, and I heard the angels singing. A light shone from heaven, and I saw the perfect difecta in front of me. It was an In-N-Out burger and a Krispy Kreme married together by a sidewalk. And I thought, God has spoken, and he has blessed his people in San Francisco. If you don't know what In-N-Out burger is, is it, is it not the bee's knees or what? They got to get one here. If anybody wants to start a business, do that here. Oh, it's awesome. But if you put an in and out next to a Krispy Kreme, oh my goodness. So I shot a video and I was telling the whole 12 people who were watching, look at this, look at this. Well, somebody in this church saw that video and got an idea. They captured, they screenshot the video and then they sat down at their easel and for the last year, they painted a picture of a Krispy Kreme and an In-N-Out burger. And then Friday, they brought it to my house and they said, Jeff, I've been working on this a year. Oh, 
And I was speechless. The color, and I actually took a picture off the wall and I put it in a place of prominence right next to all four guitars. I mean, it, it, it's the cool, you can see it on my Facebook page. It's the coolest picture ever. But the reason it's such a great thing, I, I, I probably could have just shot a picture with the camera. But this was somebody who gave a year of their life. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Another really great present I got was from Hannah. She's a great gift giver, by the way. If you want a good gift, just suck up to her. She'll, she'll take care of you. Another gift I got, one of the best gifts ever, is I got a snack pack. She got me a plastic container full of goodies that was my snack pack for when I went hunting. So I didn't have to pack anything at 6 o'clock in the morning when I went, or 4 o'clock in the morning. All I had to do was keep this snack pack in my truck. And if I got hungry, I just had to reach back, pull off the lid, and find a goodie out of there. That was a thoughtful gift. Wouldn't you agree? So there's three parts to every gift. It's the giver. It's the gift. And it's the receiver. And the scripture actually says this in chapter 8. In chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. Here's what I want you to know though. It's the heartbeat behind the gift. Both for the giver and the receiver. You've heard me say this before if you've been here for very long. But if most of us are good givers, we are atrocious receivers. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not good at receiving. Now, you probably just told the truth. So, are you the kind of person who you'll give somebody the shirt off of their back, but if you're in need, you'll go, oh, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I don't need it, I'm good. You'd give the last ounce of food in your cupboard, but you could be starving to death and somebody wants to help you, oh, no, I'm good, I'm good. The fact is, most of us don't know how to receive well. Can I just be honest with you? That is a pride issue. It absolutely is a pride issue. And all of us deal with it at some point. But do you know why you should never, ever turn away a gift unless the gift is motivated in manipulation or control? Then you turn it away. But you never turn away a gift outside of those circumstances because by turning away a gift, you're turning away their love for you. That's what a gift is all about. A gift is about saying, I love you. I can't do anything else for you because you got all you want or need, but I'm giving this because this, to the best of my ability, is saying how much I love you. We need to learn to say, thank you so much. It was hard for me to learn this. I mean, I, I, I would, when people would give me a gift, I would be embarrassed because I, I, I would somehow feel weird about taking something from somebody, especially if I knew that they were sacrificing to give it to me. And God had to remind me that that is an act of love on their part. For me to deny them the act of love ultimately is an issue of pride in my own heart. Will you receive that today? Because if you're a good giver and you're not a good receiver, you've got the, the gift thing mixed up. If you're a good receiver, but you're not a good giver, it's the same thing. You got the gift thing mixed up. Here's what the scripture says in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. And now, brothers, 
We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring us to completion the act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and your love for us, excuse me, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he has become poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich." Isn't that what I just said? It's about the heart, not about the gift. The gift is a reflection of your love to the receiver. And if the receiver will receive it, it's a beautiful exchange. Here's the context of this passage, okay? Paul is writing to the Corinthian church a second letter. The first letter he wrote about a year prior to this and the church at Corinth had some serious issues. They had some immorality issues. They had some leadership issues. They had backbiting and bitterness. They had, it was just a royal mess. And so he was pretty harsh in the first letter to the Corinthian church. The second letter is, is kind of a toned down version because Paul and the Corinthian church had started to make amends. There was some, there was some healing going on. And Paul wanted to simply remind the Corinthian church of some of the commitments that they had made the year prior. One of the commitments that they had made year, the year prior was they were going to use their resources to help the, the hurting church in Jerusalem. So Corinth was a place that was doing okay. They would have been uh, maybe not extremely rich, but they would have been okay. The Jerusalem church, on the other hand, was hurting. They were desperately hurting, especially in this time because of the circumstance. Now remember the circumstance, okay? In Acts chapter 2, we have uh, the, 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 the story of Pentecost. We have this, this influx of people from all over the world who came to Jerusalem, and while they were in Jerusalem, they heard the gospel. And when they heard the gospel, they believe the gospel. And then they realize, you know what? This is the only place there's the church. Because remember, the church started in Jerusalem. And so if we want to hear the apostles teaching, if we want to understand this new, new uh, uh, faith that we've, we've listened to, we're going to have to stay here. So a lot of the people that came to Jerusalem stayed there, which means they would have left their jobs, they would have left their homes. They were now in a strange place. As a result, the church in Jerusalem that had lived there, they were supplying the needs of the people who were new believers. A house that was built for five now might have 10 or 12 or 14 or 15 people living in it because the way the church did it was, you have a need, come on in. We'll scooch on over. You like that word? 
That's a country word. We'll scooch over. That means we'll squeeze up in the corner of the bed. You know, kind of like it is right now, right? It was a joke. You, you get the full bed? I get about that much. We've talked about that before, though. So they, they, they would just move on over, and, and the, the people who were strangers to them, who were now part of their family, were living in their homes, which means they were sharing their food. It means that they were sharing their resources. Everything they had, they shared it. That's why Acts chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, it says that they had everything in common, right? They shared as anyone had need. Well, because of this influx of people and because believers were severely persecuted in Jerusalem at this time, that means that if you owned a shop, people who would come by would, would shun you. They would choose to buy at the shop across the street as opposed to your shop because you were one of those Jesus follower people. And so your income was going down farther and far, kind of like what's going on here because of the bridge. It was extremely difficult. Paul told the Corinthian church about the needs of the people in Jerusalem and the Corinthian church agreed that they were going to help the Jerusalem church. He's reminding them in the second letter, hey, you said you were going to help, but you haven't yet fulfilled that promise. You were eager to do so, but now it hasn't quite come through. So that's the context of this passage, okay? The way Paul reminds the Corinthian church about what's going on here is by taking their eyes off of their commitment and giving them a model of, of, of generous giving. Who do you think they chose, or who do you think Paul chose to, to hold up as the model of generosity? The churches of Macedonia. In verse 1, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Who are the Macedonian churches? The church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, and the Bereans. Now, what's unique about, and we have two letters, uh, two letters to two of those churches. We have Philippians and we have Thessalonians, so I guess three letters. Who, who were the Macedonian churches? What was going on with them? They were three of the most desperately impoverished churches that existed. They were having difficult, difficult time just feeding themselves. Listen to the adjectives used as Paul writes this in verse 2. Out of the most severe trial. Catch that. Severe trial. Their overflowing joy. So wait a minute. Their overflowing joy in the midst of severe trial? Wait a minute. How's that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens because their heart was in the right place. So they had overflowing joy in the midst of severe trial and their extreme poverty. What's the word extreme mean? That means extended as far as possible, stretched out. They had stretched out poverty, kind of like the church now in some parts of the world. And my friend in Kyrgyzstan, his name is Gregory. He sent me pictures uh, just a handful of months ago of a, of, of a family, a father and his wife and about seven or eight children sitting around the table 
eating a meal of bread and water. Now, I'm trying to remember the last time that my meal consisted of bread and water, and I can't think of a time. Can you? Have you ever been so poor that the only thing you could eat was bread and water? Now, there have been times that I've chosen to eat just bread. Of course, I dipped it in a little egg wash and put it in the frying pan, put syrup on top of it afterwards, but that's not the same. We're talking, when I saw, I saw this picture of, of, of a family of 10 with a loaf of bread and some water on the table. And the joy on their faces was, was marvelous. And my friend's comment was, this is a family who is in need. If you can help, please help. So I actually threw it out on Facebook right away. And we sent over $2,000 to help feed that family. And I think almost 50 families were fed that month because of the money we sent. Could you imagine feeding 50 families for about $2,000? That's pretty awesome, isn't it? You know how hard it was to to raise $2,000 to send over there? It literally was the click of a button. And people were like, I want to help. Oh, give me a chance to help. Oh, I want to help. Why? Because we recognize, sometimes at least, how blessed we are. And we recognize that God has given us the ability to bless others. But the church in Macedonia, they were in extreme poverty. Yet through severe trial, they had overflowing joy that welled up in rich generosity. In other words, the generosity uh, uh, that, that they had was, was, was overflowing even though they were in a desperate position themselves. So y'all get in the picture, right? So Paul says to the Corinthian church, let me show you a model of what it means to be a hilarious giver. The Macedonian church. The Corinthian church would have understood this. It would, it would be like me, here's what was happening. My friend Greg and I'm not... I don't think I'm actually allowed to say that name, but my friend over in that other country, (laughs) too late now, I guess. I would say to you, be like them. Because even though they were eating a loaf of bread and a cup of water, they still begged for the opportunity to send help to others in need. See, Paul said that they did what was expected, verse five, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So where does this gift of giving come from? It comes through the grace of God. If you want to measure an accurate measure of God's grace in your life, look no farther than your own generosity. That's true. If you are not generous, then you should question whether or not you've really received God's grace. Because God's grace always results in you being a conduit of his grace to others. And a lot of times grace looks like food or power or basic needs. Now, as as he's reminding the Corinthian church of the Macedonian church, 
He's doing it in a way that is not placing a weight on the Corinthian church, but it's simply giving them a choice, which is what I'm hoping to do here today, at least what I'm hoping you're hearing me say today, okay? Remember I told you, we have fully funded our 2020 budget. So this is not out of need. This is for you because there's a principle at work here that unless you understand, you're gonna constantly be wrestling in your life. The principle is a principle of sowing and reaping, and it is a principle that God started. It's a principle that comes from the very character and the heart of God. How do we know? For God so loved the world that he gave. I mean, I mean what, we don't really need much more than that, but let's just go into it. In chapter 9, verse 6, the scripture tells us, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. In other words, his grace will be given to you so that you in all times in all things, having all that you need, will abound in every good work. For as it is written, he has scattered abroad the gifts of the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see why I'm so excited about preaching this today? And you see why it, it, you, it may seem like it doesn't fit for Christmas, but it really, really does? It fits because a principle that God sets forth, if obeyed, will always reap the promise that God sets forth with the principle. But to the converse, if the principle is ignored, you will also not reap the promise of the principle. And so what I'm setting forth to you today is a choice to believe what God says or not. What Paul said to the Corinthian church was this. He said, there's a need in Jerusalem. God has blessed you. You can meet that need, but you and you alone have to decide to do it. If you decide to meet that need, you need to be reminded that what you sow, you'll also reap. If you choose not to meet that need, what you sow, you will also reap. But I'm not going to hold you to the fire. He's saying, I'm just going to tell you and step back and let you do whatever you want to do. Because it's about the heart, not about the command. Does that make sense? What if I told you that tithing is not commanded to you as a believer? Some of you, would be very upset, maybe. Because some of you have been taught that tithing is a command to believers, but it's not. You can't find it in the New Testament where you are commanded to tithe. You just can't. Now, the Old Testament has a uh, command to tithe, But not in the New Testament. By the way, do you also notice that in the New Testament, there's not a command to keep the Sabbath. But there is a command to not not stay away from gathering together. 
But there's a difference there. There's a big difference in the two commands. You say, well, well wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, messing, you're, wrong, you're, you're kind of messing me up. What are you saying? Are, are you, yeah, you ever heard a preacher tell you you're not commanded to tithe? You're not. You want to know why? Because for some of you, tithing would be robbing God. Now, just in case you don't know, a tithe is 10%. Biblically, that's what it is. In the Old Testament, God said, take, a ten, take 10%, the first fruits, uh, uh, 10% of what you have and give it to the Lord. And if you'll do that, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to restore and to bless you and, and it'll be a good thing. In the New Testament, there is no command to tithe. There's simply a command to be a cheerful giver based on what God leads you to do in your heart because it is not under compulsion it's not because you have a weight of responsibility it's because the love in your heart has welled up to the point where you don't have any other desire but then but but for you to be generous it moves from a from a command to an expression and I am convinced, when I woke up this morning, here's the thought that I think the Lord put on my heart. He was saying, Jeff, there are a lot of people today who are going to hear this message and they're going to celebrate because they're reminded of how God's faithfulness in their life will be established over and over and over. And they're now going to be looking and, and, and connecting the dots between their own generosity and God's blessing in their life. But there are going to be other people who their single greatest struggle and issue right now is this uh, 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 principle of sowing and reaping. And this morning, somebody is going to hear this and they're going to stand on the edge of being set free into a radically different kind of life or they're going to choose to not believe what God says and they're going to stay in bondage. And so I woke up very excited because I thought today could be the day where freedom actually comes to somebody. And again, I already told you, it's not because we need money. This is not about you put money in the offering plate. This is about your heart. Because I'm actually about to tell you that I don't want you just to think generosity in terms of here. I want you to think generosity as a lifestyle. I want you to live a life of ridiculous, radical generosity. I want you to walk around and look, who can I bless today? Because God has blessed you in such a ridiculous way so that you can bless in such a ridiculous way. I want you to look for a family who doesn't have food and I want you to provide food for them. I want you to look for a family who's struggling in some way and I want you to meet their need in the name of Jesus. I don't want you to give it to me to meet their need. I want you to meet their need. Just go straight to them. You don't have to come to me. Just go straight to them. Do it in the name of Jesus with the right heart and you watch how God does what he said he would actually do. He who sows generously will reap generously. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. You can only grow what you plant. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, you can only grow what you plant. That's pretty good, ain't it? I just thought of that. But it's true. It's what the Bible says. So let's get back to the tithing part, okay? So you're not, we're not commanded to tithe because we're being moved from doing something out of, uh, out of a law 
to doing something out of grace. Instead of I have to give, it changes to I get to give. Well, how much do I give? How do, how do I know what to give? See, that's where it's fun. Instead of just giving a number because you're told a number, you actually have to ask God. God, what is it that you want me to give? Why? Because we've said it 100 billion times. It's about relationship. It's all about relationship. Think of the intimacy that you would have to develop with God to be able to hear him tell you consistently how much and when and to whom you're supposed to give. That is a conversation that's just ongoing, isn't it? Um, I could tell you literally a thousand stories of testimonies of people who have believed the passage here that says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. I could tell you a thousand stories. We don't have time for that. But I could also tell you that there are a host of people who were constantly behind and constantly struggling and they haven't figured out the gift part and as a result, they're going to remain constantly behind and constantly struggling even when they truly have plenty of money coming in. People who often are struggling, it's not because they don't have enough coming in, it's because they're not managing it right. Right? So here's what I want to say. <laughs> I've said that a couple times. I've said all this I want to say. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Here's what I'm not saying because the Bible is not saying it. I'm not saying that if you give, you will be financially rich. I'm not saying you're going to have a nicer car. And I'm saying, God help the preachers who preach a prosperity gospel that God's desire for you is to have a big house and a Mercedes Benz and your own plane and a bunch of servants and all those other things. That is not, if that were true, then how do you explain the Macedonians? Can you? Or is it just true for Americans and not for the rest of the world? Sorry, that was a little snarky. My apologies. If it's not true for the if it's not true for Kyrgyzstan, it is not true for us. Cuz the Bible doesn't divide based on what country you're from. The truth of the scripture is the truth of the scripture that are universal. So what does it mean if that's not what it means? It means that God is going to provide everything that you need. And sometimes you will have what you need and then some. And sometimes you will have almost what you need until somebody who has what they need and some supplies the rest of what you need so that you have just what you need. Did you follow that? There might be a time where you are filthy, stinking rich, but it's not so that you'll be filthy, stinking rich. It's so that you can meet the needs of somebody else who is 
poor and destitute and impoverished and hungry. And God says, I'm going to give to you so that you can give to them. Because that's how he rolls. Because when you give to them, they see your good works and they glorify your Father who is in heaven. And it points them to Jesus. How cool is it when God meets a need of yours through somebody else in a spectacular way? You ever had that happen? Somebody just shows up. Something just happens and God reminds you, I'm seeing you. That's really what it's about. It's about you remembering that God sees you. He does see you. And when he sees you, he also hears you. And it's also about strengthening your faith. Sometimes I have little because God wants to know, am I giving because I have excess or am I giving because I have love? There is a difference. Some of the most generous people on the planet are the poorest people on the planet. Jesus actually told a parable like this. He said there was a bunch of Pharisees who came through and they gave these nice big gifts and they walked very slowly and very, very astutely so everybody could see what they were giving. And then this one poor lady with a, who was a widow, she had barely anything to her name. She gave in a penny. And she said that woman has given more than all of you Pharisees alike. Why? Because she gave out of her poverty because her heart had love in it. They gave out of their pride and their arrogance out of the excess of what they had. And God said, I reject their gift, but her gift, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that in ways that the world will be talking about it 2,000 years from now, and here we are. Y'all kind of get the point? So here is the ask of you. I'm asking you to believe God's word. I don't know what that means to you. In other words, I have no idea where you rest on the generosity scale. I have no idea if you were faithfully given to your church. By the way, there are two things that the church did when they received an offering. There were two primary commitments that they had. One was to provide for the, uh, for the pastors and, and the, the apostles of the church. And the other was to help the poor. That was pretty much it. That's kind of what we do today. We have, we have the, the, the needs of what we do here, and then we have the needs of the poor outside of here. It's kind of the same thing. So I don't have any idea what you do. I don't go and lie, I don't look at your records. That's not, we don't do that. But I do want to ask you where you, where you fall on the gift scale. Have you, do you understand the, uh, the principle of sowing and reaping? Because if you don't, you're going to constantly struggle. Constantly. But if you do believe it, and you start to live it out, God's going to show you some really cool stuff. You know, let me just share with you, if I may, if I have your permission, some of the ways that God blesses us as a family in our generosity, okay? Okay. Um, this is just some of the ways that we've noticed. And I, I only tell you this because I want you to, to, to look bigger than just a paycheck. It's bigger than that. So we'll go to the store and we'll see that yellow tag on the Walmart meat. 
Like two days ago, I went to Walmart and I saw a yellow tag that was screaming out to me. It was pork steaks. Four pork steaks, giant pork steaks. You put seasoning, put them on the grill. Man, I, do you like man, pork steak on the grill? It's amazing. Like, like normally 12 bucks, it was reduced because it was the date that it had to be sold by. It was reduced to like five and a half dollars. And I'm like, boom. And you know the first thing I thought? Thank you, Lord. Because I was actually going into the store to buy something to cook for dinner. And when I got there, I found something that I wanted that was marked down. And as I was having this little celebration in my head, the guy walked behind me and he goes, hey man, I just marked those down. It's a pretty good price on those. I said, yes, sir, it is. Thank you. My heart and my wallet, thank you. Now, you might go, ah, coincidence. Okay, you can believe that if you want. But I almost never go looking for something that I don't see a discount like that somewhere. Why? I think it's the principle of sowing and reaping. I really do. Or the time when you go to a restaurant, this happens to me all the time. Go to a restaurant, order something, it doesn't come out. Hey, uh, can you check on my burger or whatever? Oh, we're so sorry. The order got lost. We're making it now. By the way, we took $10 off the bill. Happens all the time. You say, well, that's just coincidence. Coincidence if you want. But how do you explain it happening all the time? Order something from Amazon. It doesn't get here. Hey, uh, my order from Amazon didn't come. Uh, what's going on? Oh, we're sorry. We'll send another one. They send another one. And then the one I initially ordered, somehow it got lost in the mail. And then it comes. Should we send it back? No, just keep it. Oh, so now we have two of them. Happens all the time. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm saying open up your eyes to look at the way God provides for you in this sowing and reaping uh, principle that isn't just I work, I get a paycheck, that's what I have. It's bigger than that. Make sense? I think you've heard my heart and I think you've heard the scripture. I now want to ask you to trust God. So, I told you that the scripture doesn't command you to tithe, it commands you to be generous. I, I, I don't remember if I actually read that, so let me, remind, let me read that if, if I didn't. Sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So each one should give what he has decided in his heart, verse 7, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, or you might have heard this, that word literally means a hilarious giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times have all you need, you will abound in every good work. So not reluctantly under compulsion, you're to give what God has given you in your heart to give, what you have decided in your heart to give. So I say... Some of you, if you're tithing, you're actually robbing God. Why? Because he's blessed you so much that to just check a box at 10% is actually being pretty chintzy. And then some of you, and it's a really hard time right now. 
and you're feeling a lot of guilt because, man, I haven't done my 10% yet. That's not the way to look at it. The way to look at it is, Lord, I'm really struggling right now. What do you want me to do? He might say, give a percent. Give 3%. What, you know, it's not about the number. It's about saying, God, I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm doing this because it's an expression of my love. In my own life, what I've seen is that when I'm obedient in the small things, God moves things from small things to big things. You know that your heart has not caught this understanding of giving when you give and then you second guess whether or not you really should have given it. Or when it hurts, like, oh, I just, oh, I'm just going to close, I'm just going to do it. I think, I, think, I think you're missing it there. Hilarious, cheerful giving is, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to do this. And I don't expect anything back. There are no strings attached. Because we're not giving to get. We're giving because we love. That is a whole nother level of giving. Um. This is not something I'm just telling you to do. This is something me and my family have lived. And I only tell you that to say, matter of fact, I know our staff, we live this. Sometimes preachers are like, well, I don't get paid enough, so I'll just consider what I should get paid, part of my tithe, and we'll just cut it. We don't do that. Because, because we don't believe we can tell you something without living that something out. Every one of us gives to the church. We also give to other ministries and other needs outside of just the local of just this budget. In fact, at one time we get Shane and I actually calculated it up. We were giving 40% of our income. 40%. We we're not rich and we've never been rich. But you know what? We had everything we've ever needed. And the more we gave, the more God said, okay, I'm going to fill it up. You want to know why? <laughs> Just thought about this. Because we're giving like this. And God's got a dump truck full. Opening it up. You cannot out generosity God. Amen? That's a shouting right there. Come on. You can't do it. You just can't do it. Find somebody who's in need and be Jesus to them in the form of greenness. Help somebody to eat who's not eating in the name of Jesus. Help a child to be warm with a jacket in the name of Jesus. Find a missionary who's struggling to survive right now and say to them, I've been made rich, so I'm going to help you do the work that God called you to do because I don't live there, but I can certainly be a part of the ministry and it's my joy to do it. And you watch how God promises or fulfills his promises to you. Amen? Now you know I was so excited, right? Man, this is good stuff. Such good stuff. So that's yours. 
In, in struggling with this text, here's what God told me. I don't, I don't remember how long ago it was, but at some point, here's, here's what I heard God say. God said, Jeff, listen, you're worried about what they'll think if you talk about this. But you need to recognize that you don't control nor are you responsible for what they do with what they have. So I'm telling you now, I'm not responsible for what you do with what you have. That's your business between you and God. That's yours. He said, Jeff, what you're responsible for is whether or not you've told them what I've said about the issue. And I shuddered to think that I would stand before God and have to say to him, God, I was afraid of what they might think. You can think what you want. Think what you want. But I know what God has said. My family gets to live it. And I'm hoping your family does too. Amen. Do you receive that the way I've said it? I hope that's blessed you this morning. This morning, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do so. Jesus said he is the living water. If you were thirsty, if you'll ask of him, he will give you water that will never end. He is an unlimited well of living water. He said if you'll simply trust him, he will fulfill all the promises that he's made in his word since the beginning of time. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This morning, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to say to him, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you because of that. God, I trust you with my heart and I trust you with my life and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me and make me new. God, save me in Jesus' name. This morning, if you're really wrestling with this whole idea of generosity, just take a moment now and ask God to change your heart, to let love begin to be the thing that leads and guides what you do with what you have. Father, we give you this day. We thank you for all of your goodness. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for the, the overwhelming joy that so many are experiencing, even in the midst of, of difficult days. Father, thank you for music. Thank you for, Lord, just thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about Sword